Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Peter Schaefer, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Everest Communications. Now, we're talking digital surveys and polls, and how much can we trust the results? Thanks for downloading. Now, every marketer loves to put together a really good survey. We do, don't we? We love it. Uh, We can find out key information from our audience, and sometimes this is kind of essential for working out your future strategy. But how good are digital polls and surveys? Can we trust the results? Are Twitter and LinkedIn polls worth it, or are they just there for engagement? In this episode, I'm talking to Peter Schaefer, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Everest Communications. Now, Peter has worked at polling organisations such as Gallup and Harris, as well as large global PR firms, and he offers up a huge amount of insight and lots of advice on planning a survey. Now, you can find Peter on LinkedIn, also on the Everest Communications website. There's links in the show notes for that, so make sure you give him a quick tap. Can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is ad-free? I'd love it if you could give the pod a shout on social media. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can find out more podcasts at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Now, the first thing I asked Peter was if, kind of generally speaking, can we trust the results of digital surveys and polls? That's a great question, John. And I think it really comes down to two particular factors. Um, the, The amount of trust can go up with the more responses that you get, um, because the uh, the statistical errors go down with mm. the more responses you get. Um, the second is that if you are using the or are you if you are polling a predetermined audience, so let's say members of your loyalty program or something along those lines, yeah. the likelihood that those numbers are trustworthy increases very very rapidly because you now have Number one, a, a well-defined sample set that you want to talk to. Uh, and then the second is that you have, in most cases, other pieces of data about that person or those that set of people that you can apply to the polling data. So, And, and that, that increases the overall level of quality and it also increases the level of trustworthiness. Um, but if, if, if you're just putting out one question mm. kind of to the world, um, I, I would say that probably 80% of the time, it's not going to be the most trustworthy uh, piece of data out there. Yeah, because we do, I think a lot of marketers will look like, they think, I want to know this about my client base or something, my customers and that. So we'll just ask a question and we'll see what they say. Uh, That's not really a survey, is it? That's, that's, no, it's really not. And, and, you know, to your point, um, oftentimes those questions are binary, meaning a yes, no. Um, and that's even that, that scaling alone is kind of suspect because it's, it, you know, it's, it's not as, uh, reliable, I shouldn't say reliable. That's not the right word for it, but it's, it's not as maybe accurate as, as some of the other measures that would, would look at sentiment, let's say, or look at, um, you know, some other emotion that's attached to that question yeah well how would you kind of like structure a yes no thing would you have more options because i mean if, if you ask somebody for an opinion you, you ask 100 people you get 100 different answers don't you and that, that doesn't really do you a lot of good at, at the end of the day yeah one of the things that i like to do if you were going to ask a binary question would be to uh number one try to put it into a five point scale where it would be strongly agree or strongly sure. disagree or or maybe put better is that 
develop a question that measures the intensity of that yes or that no. Um, so that, that I know that if, if I see a seven, eight or nine or 10 or something yeah. like that, that that's a positive yes. And it's a strong indicator or maybe strong um, uh, predictor that something or some person will take some action. So I try to use those scales instead of the binary, but, but oftentimes, you know, you, you may come up with a situation where the binary is, is right. So for example, are you going to go shopping? Are you going to go to Starbucks today? Are you going to yeah. go to the X? And it, you know, yes, no is, is perfectly appropriate. But if you're going to have to make a decision off something, the scaling is probably a be- better option. So let's go back to the beginning. We want to do a survey. We're sat in the office and the CEO's coming and said, we've got to do a survey. Okay, we've got to, we've got to survey our clients. So when we actually yes. start thinking about what we want to do, um, what is it? What, what do we have to plan out? What, what are the basics we have to get right, do you think? Yeah, so uh, let me answer this in two parts. Um, the first is the strategic part of this. And, and I, I tell almost all of my clients this, is that this type of research is where you want to start with the end in mind. Hmm. So the first thing you want to do is say, okay, what is it that I really need to find out? And what is it that I want to make a decision off of? And and what outcome do I want to see? Um, One exercise that we used to use a lot, and I think it's starting to make a comeback, is we would ask clients, if you were going to see this in a major publication, um, you know, and and see the headline that Hmm. said 62% said X, what would you want that headline to be? What is it that you would, would really like this outcome yeah. to be? Yeah. Um, and then that would help shape how we would ask the question and then how we would uh, also discern the, the responses that we got back. Um, the other factors that would be involved in this is that, number one, you want to make sure that you are um, pretty clear about the types of people that you want to have answering yeah. your questions. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, right now, response rates for online surveys and, and digital surveys are still stronger than they are by telephone and by mail, but they are dropping. Right. And and so um, it's, you know, it, it's, you may now have to contact um, one in 20 people to get a response or a survey or a poll completed, um, you know, where it used to be maybe one in six. So, you know, just be clear about who you want to talk to and, sure. and why that's important. Um, the second is that you want to make certain that your questions um, are easy to understand and easy to answer um, and that you don't want to make it, you, you don't want to try to answer too many things in one question. And, and this is one thing that digital polling has created is that um, there's a, a need for speed to get yeah. through these. And, and, and in doing so, you now ask, uh, you know, a question that might have six different parts or, or three different parts versus just kind of a straightforward, you know, um, question. So that that has accelerated the use of grids and some other things that make it a little bit more difficult. Um, I know this is going to sound a little bit um, maybe intuitive, but um, you need to write your questions so that they will appear on a mobile device. Almost half of all surveys sure. now are taken on a mobile device. And I think people forget that in that they write these very, very long, wordy, you know, verbose questions, and they don't realize that it's not going to fit onto, you know, a mobile device screen as easily as it would, say, a PC. Yeah. Um, so you want to you want to look at that, and then finally, um, what you want to make certain of is that you have enough people to actually uh, make some. Uh, judgment about the results and interpretation of the results. Um, In fact, I was working with somebody a couple days ago 
on a, uh, an employee survey where the, the, the firm has less than 100 employees. And I said, you know, if, if you only get 50% participation, which I think everybody would rave yeah, about yeah, and yeah. just clap, you only have 50 responses. And now you look at it, you know, the, so the, you just need to be very careful about over-interpreting or, over, um, uh, or making too many assumptions about the data, especially yeah. on those small sizes. Yeah. Do you think there is kind of like a, a level where it becomes pointless exercise? Um, I, I think to a certain degree, yes. I think if it's anything below 25 or 50, you, you start to get into that kind of ridiculous stage. Um, the, the one thing that I always tell clients is if you are intent and still getting you know, 25 to 50 um, is that you only use those results as directional, not specific. So right. for example, I wouldn't change the price of my product based on a survey of 50 people. Sure. Um, I would, I would go back to the drawing board, uh, possibly, if that group said, hey, your pricing is off compared to your competitors. And then, you know, so I would, that's a directional versus a specific option. You mentioned that that kind of like completions are, are dropping a little bit, even digitally. Is there, is there any way to kind of like encourage them? Do we just have to like throw Amazon vouchers at people all day? You know, the, it's, that's a great question, John. Um, you know, and, and two things. Number one is there is a level or shift in behavior now for that instant gratification. Yeah. Of, you know, so I complete the survey. Now I get my $40 gift card or whatever yeah. it would be or $5 gift card. So the incentives have changed. And I think it's changed the way people approach and even select which um, which surveys to complete. So there is, there is an element of that. I, I do think that really um, asking the right types of questions actually has, I think, a better impact or effect on people. And I, I've noticed that when you, especially with, with um, customer satisfaction, yeah. there's a battery of questions that have been out there forever and that, you know, they haven't been spruced up since the 1990s and maybe yeah. the early 2000s. And so they don't fit today's um, kind of youthful mindset or whatever. So that, that well, while they are proven to measure customer satisfaction, for example, they may not be giving you the numbers that, that really reflect what's going on today. So I, I think, sure. um, you know, there's a disconnect between some of the, the questions and the metrics that are being answered because of the trends and, and actually what the consumer is really thinking about today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I read a, uh, kind of like a strange social media post the other day. I, I, I think I can mention it was Evernote and they'd yeah. sent out a sur yep. survey to, to an awful lot of their their, their um, customers and that. And, and somebody had replied to them and said, I spent nearly an hour doing this survey and you didn't ask me about any of the features I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, what are we going to do? We're going to like write individual surveys now. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was using this example a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, that so many of these surveys are, are, are trying to measure a, a point in time versus yeah. a period of time. And you, you know, using Evernote, for example, um, you may not be likely to switch um, and you, it may be just part of your everyday work or whatever. Um, and, and you already have a predisposed uh, reason to stay hmm. on as a client. But I'm now asking you a transactional question about this point in time when it doesn't really even consider my engagement with the brand or the sure. product or the service. Um, and I think that's one of the big missing pieces right now is that, um, you know, that, that one, we're not measuring a pre-existing relationship so that we can have a better interpretation yeah. of the results. Um, but secondly, is that I think we're all assuming 
and I think wrongly, um, that uh, we're, we're that people are already loyal to us. Um, yes. And and that's not. I don't think that's that's as strong a case as it used to be. No, I, th- I think you're right. I think I think finally folks are realizing that generally companies are trying to make money out of you. They're not trying to be your bestest friend ever, are they? I mean, <laughs> Very it's, true. It, yeah, it's the Apple thing, isn't it? It's like you know, Apple did it brilliantly, didn't they? They got their their gang together and everybody loved the product and would stand up and and sort of like defend it on social media and everything all day long. But at the end of the day, Apple just want to make billions exactly exactly yeah yeah. um so so have you got any tips for kind of writing better questions what what kind of things should we think about yeah so there's three tips that i would suggest Hmm. for most anybody and this is this is for a layman that wants to do you know an an online poll with you know a, a, a myriad of whatever survey packages that they want or even um somebody that's that's kind of maybe more advanced um the first is write the question in a conversational format um, and then and then create the scale based on that conversational format. Right. Um, I've, I've noticed that, again, these very uh, kind of long questions are, are turning people off and, and they're, you know, forcing a behavior I think that you just mentioned is like, I'm just going to give it a three just so I can get through this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you, you want to make it so that, that it's um, at least tapping into some level of emotion versus trying to take the emotion out of that question. Um, The second is that uh, once you have a a basic set of questions, um, just circulate them to a couple people to see if, you know, um, they can answer them and whatever. I'm I'm really surprised and even to a certain degree shocked, John, Mm. by the lack of pre-testing of some of the survey instruments that go out. And I know, you know, some of it just because it's the ease of use now and, and it's so, um, you know, so easy to launch something. But I, I do think sometimes it's better to, to just get that extra set of eyes and, you know, can you do this? Um, the third thing is to make sure that you have the questions in a sequence that actually is logical for the respondent to follow along. Right. Um, and this is one of these, and again, I think this is maybe more for the layman than it is more for the professional, is that you're, you're taking somebody on an opinion journey. And as part of that journey, it has to be connected or at least has to have some you know, relevancy from question to question to question in, the, in those sequences. And I think a lot of times I see some very, very abrupt shifts or changes in the questions um, and, and you, it's almost jolting to the respondent yeah. to the point where whatever that next question is that jolts you may wind up with a, a um, an inadvertent score because it's so shocking sure. to you coming out of the, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I know that you know this, but, um, you know, because it's so easy now to add visuals into a survey yes. um, that sometimes even the wrong picture would jolt you into, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. I, I like the idea of pre-qualifying it and getting somebody else to look over it because different people can apply different contexts to the questions, can't they? They get completely exactly. different answers, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and I think, you know, one of the other things too, uh, and we haven't really talked about this very much, is that, you know, so many people now are used to taking surveys. They, mm. they you know, 15 years ago, it was still kind of a, a bit of a novelty um, to participate in, a, in an online survey and a digital poll or yeah. something like that. Now it is absolutely 
you know, you can't turn your phone off or, or t- sure. can't turn your phone on without, yeah. you know, yeah. having uh, like six, you know, and, and even by text, you get a link to a, a survey. Um, but I, and, and because of that, m- the expectation and certainly the level of sophistication of a respondent has changed. And so if you're not keeping up with that, um, you're oftentimes turning people off from actually taking a survey that, that would be otherwise a, an important thing for them to complete. Yeah. So how much can we kind of trust these results from digital service? Because I would imagine if somebody's standing there in front of you face to face and they're asking you questions and you can see them, right, well, they've got a clipboard and, and you're going to get a slightly different reaction from people and maybe slightly different answers than if they're just looking at something on their, their phone screen. Would I be right in saying that? I, yeah, absolutely, John. I think that's an excellent observation. And uh, two quick things along that same line. One, and this is an industry trend in market research, hmm. is that it's the reemergence of the focus group. Yeah. Um, and because of exactly what you just said, is that I, I, I want to see and I want to, to, to be able to at least understand viscerally what is being said. So I, the focus group, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot more, I guess, you know, a, a growth in that. Um, both online and in person. So that's that's that supports that. The second is that there is, a, I think, you know, in terms of of trusting the data, hmm. for lack of a better way to put it, yeah. um, even with some of the surveys that are out there now, um, if you are, if you have a critical mass, meaning that they're above a certain you know number, and usually that number is about four hundred. It, that, that you can have at least some comfort that statistically you're in a good uh, you're in in a good range to to start interpreting the the, the data. Yeah. Um, you know, I I do think you're right in that there the emergence of of wanting to understand more deeply what is driving this behavior has driven um, you know people back towards methods like you know, having, um, you know, uh, a focus group or a triad or, yeah. or an in-depth interview. For yeah, I, mean, I mean, how do you see things going? Do you see more digital? Because I had an email off the Guardian newspaper the other day offering me $50 of Amazon vouchers right. uh, to do a survey with them. But it was through Zoom with an actual real person the right. other end. And you yep. can't get away with just going, oh, that'll do, that'll do, that'll do. Where's my voucher? Yeah, yeah. And, and it is changing. I mean, I think that, that number one is... Uh, there's going to continue to be a, a level of growth in the digital polling and digital research mm. area. Um, and, and there's so many new platforms or different platforms that are out there that you've got multitude of choices. And some of them now have figured out that the analytics package on the back end is as valuable as the question programming on the front end. And yeah. so in, in, in this is there, there's kind of a good news, bad news here is that the good news is, is that you're able to do um, automated statistical testing and, and, you know, conjoined analysis and some of these more advanced things sure. um, because of the advancement of that. But the downside is that you're just in, in some cases taking the answer and, and, and not really thinking through the implications of what that is. It's almost like, you know, I've got this piece of data now, I can go take this action versus connecting the dots along with that. I think, you know, before um, there was more internal discussion and debate about what the responses mean. Yeah. I don't think that that is as, as robust a discussion as it used to be. Now, you're a communications expert. So if I turn around and say Twitter and LinkedIn polls, they're great, aren't they? 
You're going to just poo-poo that completely. <laughs> you're just going to, oh, no. <laughs> I, they're, they're fun. I will, I will say that. Um, I, the, I think this is one of those cases, again, where the user has become more sophisticated and I think can tell the difference between, you know, these, these Twitter polls and, yeah. and things like that. Um, you know, that, that I, 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 and I don't know if people remember this or not, but it used to be when Google, there used to be a Google surveys thing where you yeah. used to um, be able to uh, query people who were on Google at that particular time. And, and uh, you know, it, uh, um, I mean, it took off, it wasn't, you know, but, but to your point is that I think that these one question polls or these, you know, pulses or, or whatever things that uh, people call them, you know, they're fun to do, they're easy to do. Um, you know, they, they oftentimes get a large number of people to participate because of just the ease of being able yeah. to participate. But again, statistically, it, there's a little bit of a danger zone there in that, um, you know, one is it's probably not a representative sample of people on Twitter or on Facebook or on LinkedIn or sure. something along those lines. Um, so, you know, there, I, I would say that there's value, but I think it would be in directionally, not in specifics. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'll use this example. We've seen this a number of, of times. It's a little strange, I guess. Yeah. Is that if, if, if in a regular poll, in a, in a, you know, whether it's a, a Gallup poll or YouGov or whomever yeah. it is, if they ask for approval rating of a politician, um, <laughs> yeah. those numbers are going to be different than what you see if this, if Twitter asked that or if it was on LinkedIn sure. or if it was on Facebook yeah, or yeah. something. Um, and, and part of that is because the cultivation of the sample set on the formal survey is more intensive than it is on the other side. So, um, you know, and that's now that being said, there are social media statistics that are oftentimes more accurate for some of these polling than the actual polling data itself. Right. And part of that is because of just the sheer volume of, of data that these, you know, couple sure. question polls are able of course, to, to yeah. extract. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I can't breathe on LinkedIn without seeing a poll. Yeah. <laughs> you just literally, and I, I think it's more about social media engagement than actually trying to get some data, I think, isn't it? At the end of the well, day. you know, and, and the, the other part too, is this, there's been this evolution in communications of, um, you know, we, we need to get out there all these yeah. narratives and narratives. And in a lot of cases, what's happened is that these polls ultimately support a narrative that a communications expert wants to have out yeah. there. Um, and so you're, you're, you're right. There is there is some utility to it, but it's oftentimes a different type of utility than, um, you know, say a major decision um, on, you know, a marketing campaign or pricing or something along those lines. Sure. So, so you reckon it's better to hire an expert, do you think, if we have budget? And I would imagine you need budget, don't you, if you're hiring somebody to do this? Yeah, I think um, my advice would be if this is a strategic decision that is going to have implications on your bottom line, on your revenue stream, things like that, yeah. um, almost in all cases, it would be best to hire an expert or at least hire people that have the capability to execute the survey in a, or, and execute the survey methodology in a way that gives you as much comfort and certainty as possible. Sure. Um, and and I, I, I think there's just too much risk and there, there are too many places where the process of data collection and question writing and things could go off track. Um, and, and you don't want to be making a multi 
uh, you know, multi-million dollar decision without that level. That being said, um, most of the research firms um, are, are fairly priced these days. Um, mm. There used to be, it used to be kind of a, a bigger gap between the DIY companies that were doing yeah. surveys and then the kind of more professionals. Um, the one thing that I have noticed though, is that the, if you are hiring an expert or you're hiring a firm that is a specialist in, let's say, customer satisfaction or they're expect, sure. you know, specialist in employee engagement or something yeah. along those lines, is that one of the things that they have figured out is using historical data to help give you sets of comparison or comparison sets for right. what you're doing. First. And, and I think in one regard, people that are buying or, or seeking out these experts are really undervaluing that asset that, yeah, that yeah. those experts bring to the table. Um, so that, that not only does it give you context for your own individual company or individual situation scores, um, but it's also a good benchmark to see how far or how much you may need to invest, how much you need to work, all those different things to get to, to where you need to be. Yeah, and I suppose at the end of the day, you can be, if you're working in the company and you, you, you're creating your own survey and that, you can be too close to it, can't you, to, to write the best questions, the objective questions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think in... in to your point, because it's an excellent one, um, is that there, there, that that level of bias that comes mm. in, I think, is is subtle, but it's it very impactful in the way these responses come in. And I think, in one regard, you create this unintentional groupthink by the way that that you structure and and make those questions. So it, it's it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy to a certain degree is that, yes, I'm going to continue to buy this kind of car. Yes, I'm going to continue to yeah. eat this type of cereal. Yes, I'm going to continue to, you know, do this um, because that's the way the questions are constructed. Um, one thing that I, I, you know, and this is a little bit different um, and, you know, many, many, many of the major brands out there um, over the past decade or two have created online communities and they're you know, sure. you, and 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 so when they do these you know outside you know there's always this outside external poll and then there are other you know different syndicated polls and things like that is that what they get from those online communities tends to be more actionable than what's on the outside uh, or what these you know syndicated research things are simply because you're talking to the customers that are already in your ecosystem mm -hmm. and um and and you can you you can do and have a little bit more flexibility with some of the ways you, ways you structure the questions. Yeah. Do, do you find like the communities are more critical, or do you find them a little bit fanboyish? Um, you know, it's a, that's a great question, and I haven't really considered it in what you mm. just in, in the way you just said. Um, I, but I, I, I think there is an element to it. Um, I, I do think that in the communities that I've seen and I've managed and worked with over the last ten years is that there is a level of seriousness that the community member brings to the table yeah. that that I don't think yeah. um, is appreciated, quite frankly, by the community owner. Sure. Um, you know, I think there's still that maybe distance of relationship. Um, but, I, but I do think that one thing that, that I have noticed, and you just mentioned it there briefly, is that they may not be as critical, but they are more observant of subtle changes within the brand messaging, the brand sure. behavior that, that other consumers would not pick up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that I think is where, you know, 
it, that's where the real value is. And you just have to be on the lookout for those types of, of insights. Yeah. Fascinating. I could chat for ages and ages about this. I do find it quite there's a lot of psychology in all of this. Um, <laughs> Very true. P Peter, where can we find you? Where can we find Everest Comms? Sure. Uh, the easiest way is to find us on LinkedIn. Um, I'm at Pete Schaefer, P-E-T-E-S-H-A-F-E-R on LinkedIn. Um, and then Everest Communications is on LinkedIn. And it's E-V-E-R-E-S-T. And then if anybody would like to, to reach out to me directly, my uh, email address is peter at everestcoms.com. Fantastic. What I'll do, I'll leave some links in the show notes so folks can just tap away on those. Oh, and, um, lovely. Visit. Fantastic. Lovely. lovely. Thanks ever so much for your time, Peter. Really appreciate oh, it. No, John, great. Thank you so much and uh, great to meet you. Thanks again to Peter for his time. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. Give them a quick tap. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.